the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. The following program is sponsored by Know the Truth Incorporated. Today on Know the Truth from Philip DeCourcy. While we may not understand the past and while we may not know the future, we must and we should enjoy the present as a gift from God. We must not let that which we do not like We must not let that which we do not understand destroy our capacity to enjoy that which we have. It's just remarkable how time flies, isn't it? Before we know it, the days become weeks, weeks become months, and months add up to years. Well, today on Know the Truth, we'll talk about how we can live a life of purpose and make the most of every moment. We're digging into the Old Testament book of Ecclesiastes with Philip DeCourcy. And there's additional resources online at ktt.org. So how are you using your most valuable resource? Here's Philip DeCourcy with today's message, It's About Time. As the dimmer switch is turned up in this book, we are brought to a place of greater God consciousness. And Solomon insightfully reminds us that from heaven's perspective, a man can do no better than to embrace and enjoy the life that God has given him as a gift. That's the point that's being made here in verses 12 through 13. The point being made here is that while we may not understand the past, and that while we may not know the future, we must and we should enjoy the present as a gift from God. Jesus tells us that, doesn't he, in Matthew 6? Don't worry about tomorrow. Focus on today. In the midst of the mystery of God's providence, we're not to brood over the past. We're not to worry over the future. We're to live fully in the present. That's the best thing a man can do. Let God be God. Value the simple things of life and embrace the moment you're in. We must be in what is, not what was, and not what is yet to be. Because that's all that really exists. The past and the future are abstract concepts, times that never are. They're only in your head, but they're not here. What's real, what's pressing, what's of value is the moment you're in. Listen to these words by Pascal, the great French philosopher. We are so unwise that we wander about in times that do not belong to us. And do not think of of the only one that does. So vain that we dream of times that are not and blindly flee the only one that is. The fact is that the present usually hurts. We thrust it out of sight because it distresses us. And if we find it enjoyable, we are sorry to see it slip away. We try to give it the support of the future and think how we're going to arrange things over which we have no control for a time. We can never be sure of reaching 
Thus, we never actually live, but hope to live. And since we're always planning how to be happy, it's inevitable that we never should be or ever will be. Like that thought. It's realistic. Solomon would agree with it. The present hurts. There's things you don't like about now. There's things you'd like to change. Some of that's outside of your control. Some of that you've got to leave with God who makes it all fitting, works it all together for good. Give God time and trust God in the meantime because God not only governs time, he gives time. And the time he gives, he means us to enjoy it. Let God be God. Value the small things. And don't live in the past. Don't go running into the future. Embrace the moment that's yours. Let's make a start for a few moments on the thought of the ending of time. This is the final section that begins in verse 16. In this final section, Solomon moves from looking at life inside of time to looking at eternity outside of time. Solomon, the preacher, talks primarily about death and the judgment that follows it. Look at what he says in in verse 18. Concerning the condition of the sons of men, God tests them that they may see that they themselves are like animals. For what happens to the sons of men also happens to animals. One thing befalls them. As one dies, so does the other. Again, Solomon is taken up with this theme of man's mortality. That's one of the, the frustrating things about life. You don't get to live that long. And as the animal dies, so does man. But is that the end? I think by implication, no. At least in this passage, it's clearer in other passages. Look at verse 17. God shall judge the righteous and the wicked, for there is a time there for every purpose and, and every work. King Solomon wants us to be seized by the thought that in life there is a time for everything, and then at death there is a time for nothing. The time that God gives as a stewardship will come to an end, and then we will give an account for how we used our days. Our lives may be short, but our actions are long in terms of consequence. They echo out into eternity. We will give an account for our days, for our decisions. The culminating issue of Solomon's appointed time discussion is that there is a time for judgment. Did you notice the language there? He picks up the language of verse 1. Just as God has appointed a purpose for everything under heaven, a time to be born, a time to die, there's also going to be a time at the end of time when God will have us all give an account for the things we did in our bodies. In fact, God's judgment is a central theme in this book. If you go to chapter 11 and verse 9, Rejoice, O young man, in your youth, and let your heart cheer you in the days of your youth. Walk in the ways of your heart and in the sight of your eyes, but know that for all these God will bring you into judgment. Solomon is acknowledging that youth is a wonderful time. Oh, to be young again, many of us would say. So many paths so many possibilities. Young people are to embrace life. They're to experiment. They're to go out on an adventure. They're to try and taste life in all its dimensions. But this isn't a call to godless hedonism. This isn't a call to abandon yourself to any desire and every desire. Because here's what we're reminded about. Whatever you do, remember that everything you do will be judged. Therefore, the young person needs to be wise and see life as a gift from God. 
And so the whole theme of judgments there, even at the end of the book, what he would read, verse 14, for God will bring every work into judgment, every secret thing, whether good or evil. In fact, at a recent board meeting at the Master's College in Seminary, Dr. MacArthur in a conversation reminded us all that the thought of his personal accountability to God was the biggest motive and greatest sanctifying influence in his whole life and ministry. It ought to be, isn't it? That's a thought that should rise above all other thoughts, that someday we will stand toe-to-toe, face-to-face, under the glare of God's glory and holiness and give an account for the stewardship of our lives, for your youth, for middle age, for the later stages of life. Follow the ways of your heart, but know this, it's all going to come back to the feet of Jesus. So be careful. Enjoy life, but enjoy that which is healthy. Enjoy that which is holy. Enjoy that which was within the will of God. Because life is a stewardship. Right now counts forever. That's why you and I need to ask ourselves on a daily basis this question. What am I doing today that matters 2,000 years from now? Because you will be somewhere 2,000 years from now. Either in heaven or in hell, reaping the rewards of your righteousness and your faithfulness to Jesus Christ are bearing the punishment of your wickedness and your waywardness apart from God. What are you doing today that will matter 2,000 years from now? Because although man dies as the animal dies, at the end of time, he will give an account for his time and God will judge his every action and his every activity. Now, for a few minutes, the text seems to muddy the waters in terms of Solomon's understanding of of the life to come. Some would argue that Solomon's rather agnostic here regarding the question of the life to come. He just tells us that man dies like a dog dies. Some would argue, even when he mentions here, that judgment is coming, He doesn't specify that this is the final judgment or the end judgment. Well, let me me look at that for a few minutes. Man is said to die like a dog, and when he dies, who knows if his spirit goes upward or downward? Verse 21. Well, I think the confusion is only apparent. And you never isolate a passage, and so we've got to read this chapter within the context of the whole book, and this book within the corpus of Scripture. And I think you'll see that the confusion is only apparent. Solomon is not agnostic about the future and the eternal dimension to man's existence. In fact, in verses 18 through 20, the text does not say that people are nothing more than animals, but they are like animals in one regard. You see, back in Genesis We're told that man was made in God's image and he was given authority over the beasts of the earth, over the animal and vegetable world. That's repeated in Psalm 8 verses 3 through 8. Man is not a naked ape. Although man has a higher calling, he is nevertheless, because of the fall, subject to death, just like every other creature on God's earth. In fact, here in Ecclesiastes 3, When Solomon talks about the fact in verse 20 that from our dust we came and to dust we return, that's an echo of Genesis 3 verse 19 and God's judgment on Adam's disobedience. 
which Paul picks up in Romans 5.12, because of one man's disobedience, sin came into the world and death through sin. So man is distinct from the animal kingdom. He was made as the crowning act of God, made for fellowship with God, made to subdue the earth, made to dominate the vegetable and animal kingdom. But when he fell into disobedience, sin entered. And just like the animal dies, so does man die. I think that's Solomon's point here. In fact, he tells us, doesn't he here in verse 19, that man has no advantage over animals for all his vanity. That's simply saying this, that human life as well as animal life is subject to vanity. King Solomon is not ruling out immortality of the human soul, patterned after the image of God. Solomon's not denying that while the animal dies and ceases to exist, man ceases to exist. He's not saying that. In fact, he tells us in this very chapter in verse 11 that God has put eternity in our hearts. He'll tell us in chapter 12 and verse 7, then the dust will return to the earth as it was, and the Spirit will return to God who gave it. The animals goes downward. The soul and spirit of man goes upward to give an account for the life he lived. On the surface, men and animals look the same, but the similarity is only skin deep. That's why we should be troubled at news coming out of Spain that a parliamentary committee has adopted a resolution that would give great apes and chimpanzees and gorillas the same right to life, freedom from arbitrary captivity, and protection from torture. In other words, the same legal rights as humans. See, when you don't have a theistic worldview, you buy into the thought that chimps have 98% of human DNA, genetically the same almost as a human being. And when you look at life under the sun, there's not much to differentiate in terms of essence. The human animal from the chimpanzee, the monkey, the gorilla. In fact, the European Court of Human Rights is now considering an appeal on behalf of a 28-year-old chimp named Matthew is looking for his rights to be established and that his remaining days would be funded and he would be taken care of. I know it's laughable, but it's also tragic because although man dies like the animal dies, man is not the same as the animal. Solomon in this text does not say that people are nothing more than animals. He's simply saying that people are like animals in this one regard. They die just like the animal. And in verse 21, he states this question, does the soul of a man go upward and the animal go downward? That's a simple statement of observation. Any possible advantage that a man might claim over an animal is, according to Solomon, beyond empirical demonstration. Solomon's not denying the immortality of the human soul, that the human soul will exist beyond the point of physical life. He's simply saying that under the sun, in terms of the observation, in terms of empirical data... You don't know if the soul goes up as the animal goes down. Walking by sight, not by faith, one cannot distinguish between the death of a man and the death of an animal. But this is not a direct denial of the afterlife or the continuing existence of the human soul. Because Solomon was fully aware that throughout Jewish scripture and the wisdom of his father and fathers, that indeed there was a a conviction of an after existence. Psalm 1611, what do we read? In God's presence are joys and pleasures forevermore. 
In Psalm 73 and verse 24, the psalmist talks about how God would receive him in the glory afterward. Psalm 23, verse 6, goodness and mercy follow us all the days of our life, and then we dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Psalm 17, verse 15, tells us that if we die, then we have this hope that we might awaken his likeness. There's only apparent confusion here. Solomon acknowledges here the ending of time, that there's a time for everything, and then at death there's a time for nothing. And following that, there will come a time when God will judge the righteous and the wicked at his time. Let me squeeze a couple of minutes here and leave you with a fascinating thought to consider. I don't know if you've often reflected on the fact that the Bible likens human beings to the animal. We've already acknowledged biblically man is distinct from the animal kingdom. But in his character at times, in his conduct at times, apart from God, he evidences animal-like behavior. Listen to these words by Warren Wearsby. You and I are the only creatures in God's creation that can decide what kind of creature we want to be. When a puppy is born, it will grow up to be a dog. When a calf is born, it will grow up to be a cow. But what kind of animal will a boy become or a girl become by the time they graduate high school? And before we go any further... You shouldn't be offended at that. In fact, we do this all the time. As we look at a person's behavior and traits, we often liken them to animals. Oh, he's as sly as a fox. She's as dirty as a pig. He's as dumb as an ox. He's as stubborn as a donkey. On and on the comparisons go. And the Bible makes those comparisons. Psalm 32 verse 9, what are we told? Be not like the horse and be not like the mule. Speaking about guidance, we're told not to run ahead of God like the horse, or we're not to dig in our heels and oppose God like the mule. Proverbs 7, verse 21 to 22, we have the picture of a young man, a red-blooded young man in the full flush of youth, and he goes to the wrong side of town. He winds up in the red light district, and he's approached by a seductively dressed woman who baits him to come home with her and to enjoy illicit sex to transgress the law of God. And he falls for the trap. He gives in to the temptation. And you know what the Bible says? He goes after her like an ox to the slaughter. What an image. Like an ox to the slaughter. Oh, the consequences of sexual sin. Physically, psychologically, spiritually. Luke 13, 22, Jesus says of Herod, go tell that old fox. He was the consummate politician. He was expedient. He put his finger to the wind to see which way the prevailing ideas of the moment were blowing. 2 Peter 2 verse 22 likens the false professor to a pig that leaves the pigsty and the muck and the mire, cleans itself up, passes itself as a domestic pet. But after a while, that old pig nature rises to the surface and the pig goes back to the muck and the mire. It's a terrible picture but a fearful picture, but a true picture of some who are moved in a meeting to make a mental ascent to Jesus Christ. They're moved emotionally. They walk an aisle, they write a card, and for a while they make an attempt to look like a Christian and act like a Christian, but there's been no true regeneration, no true conversion. There's a gloss of religiosity, but over time, you'll see them leave the meeting. They'll not be at the Bible study. You'll never hear them pray. you never see them singing because there's no divine nature in them. 
And they're like a pig that goes back to the mar. You'll find them after a year or two years back to their old habits, back to their old habitats. Isaiah 53, verse 6, all we like sheep have gone astray. Man has a nature that takes him far from God, and he follows that nature, and he's like a sheep that breaks through the hedge, and the shepherd has to go and find it. Man who was made for dominion over the animals has descended through the fall to become like them. Were you described in any of that? The daughter of Winston Churchill said this in her book, Keep on Dancing, that my father once commented to me that to a large extent, the civilized world had succeeded in erasing the lion, the tiger from the human soul, but had not succeeded in removing the donkey. Man can be stubborn. In fact, the Bible would say we're still struggling with the ox complex, the fox complex, the sheep complex, the pig complex, the horse and mule complex. We were made for a glorious relationship with God. Man was the crowning act of God in that first week of creation. But when he rose up in rebellion against God, he fell to look more like the animals over which God had made him to have dominion. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for these reminders. Oh, Lord, help us to embrace the moment we find ourselves in. Help us, Lord, to uh, appreciate the things that you have caused for our enjoyment, the kiss of a spouse, the admiration of a child, the beauty of a sunset, the intoxicating taste of good food. These are ours to be enjoyed. And Lord, while we don't want to be Pollyannish, we realize, Lord, there are big issues in life. There are tragedies. There are trials. There are questions that don't seem to be easily answered. And we don't want to ignore that. But there's nothing better for us to do than to trust you with that which doesn't make sense to us and to enjoy that which we can hold and that which we have. Lord, Help us to let you be God, to value the simple things, to embrace today, not to vegetate over yesterday or to worry over tomorrow. And Lord, remind us that this day counts forever, that we will die like the animal, but our soul will go upward to God. And at the end of time, we will give an answer for all that we did in time. Lord, may that indeed have a sanctifying influence, even a saving influence in each of our lives. For we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. An important study about the value of time today on Know the Truth. You're listening to Philip DeCourcy in a study in Ecclesiastes chapter 3 called It's About Time. All the messages in this series are archived on our website at ktt.org. You can also order messages on CD when you call 888-644-8811. As Solomon reminds us in Ecclesiastes, every moment is a gift from God, but we can waste our time if we're too earthly-minded. And for our new listeners, we have a free gift we want to give you on this subject. It's a message from our current series titled, Chasing Pretty Bubbles. If you've never reached out to us before, ask for this free CD when you call 888-644-8811 or request the CD online at ktt.org. At Know the Truth, we're always looking to provide you with resources to strengthen your walk of faith. 
That's why we carefully plan our broadcast schedule while selecting monthly resources to help you follow up with your own study in God's Word. This month, Philip has specially selected a practical and engaging commentary on Ecclesiastes titled, Why Everything Matters. Philip Riken writes, Think of Ecclesiastes as the Bible's cattle prod. The preacher's words push us to expect lasting satisfaction, not in money and pleasure, but in the goodness of God. That's just a taste of why everything matters. Don't miss getting this book when you give a generous gift of $20 or more. There's just a few more days to request it, so donate online at ktt.org or call 888-644-8811. You can also send your gift by mail to Know the Truth, Post Office Box 30250, Anaheim Hills, California, 92809. Thanks for your generosity that fuels the nonprofit ministry of Know the Truth. I'm Wayne Shepherd, so glad you took time out for today's study. Tomorrow we'll learn more about the value of time. Don't miss Philip DeCourcy, Wednesday on Know the Truth. Today's program was produced and sponsored by Know the Truth Incorporated. Jesus said, You shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. This story is called The Ugly Truth About Timeshare. If you think you've done your family a favor by buying a timeshare, you need my help. Hello, I'm Chuck McDowell, CEO and founder of Wesley Financial Group. Ten years ago, I started helping folks cancel their timeshare contracts, and in the process started what's now called the timeshare cancellation industry. Timeshare is the only thing that you can buy that you can't tell me how much it's going to cost or when it's going to end. When you buy a timeshare, you give them a blank check to fill out any amount they want for annual maintenance and assessment fees. Sound crazy? The crazy thing is, this never ends. Even when you die, your family's now going to be stuck with this burden. Stop the insanity today. Call my office now. I guarantee if we can't cancel your timeshare contract, you'll pay nothing. Call for your free information kit. 800-290-7100. That's 800-290-7100. 800-290-7100. Wish there was a play. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.